Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. ES Audio. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm Rochelle Travers and this is The Leader. Could Ukraine win this war? The Evening Standard reports Volodymyr Zelensky's troops have captured so much territory they've now reached the border with Russia. Vladimir Putin's soldiers have been pushed back northeast of Kharkiv, Ukraine's second largest city. Ukrainian forces have also been retaking territory in northeastern areas in recent days, as Russian forces focus on the Donbass region further south. Our defence editor, Robert Fox, is with me. Robert, how big an achievement is it for Ukrainian forces to reach the Russian border? It's an achievement, but getting to the border is really symbolic, because uh, the real fight now is along the Donetsk River, where the main effort now of the Russian ground forces in Ukraine is to surround what they see as the best and the biggest element of the Ukrainian armed forces, about eight or nine brigade groups. And they've got them surrounded on three sides, but the Ukrainians keep fighting and the Russians, although they've got numerical superiority, uh, seem to be fighting really rather badly. What does this mean in terms of the bigger picture? Well, Russia is doing very badly on the information and propaganda war because in this operation to really corral or kettle the Ukrainian regular ground forces along the Donetsk River, they fared very badly because there has been imagery of the Russians attempting an armed river crossing. Apparently, they've tried it in two or three places, but one in particular where they were just smashed up by Ukrainian drones and then, of course, heavy artillery fire. They think analysts in the West and the Ministry of Defense think that up to 400 Russian soldiers will have died out of a group of a 1,000. Now, this has gone into uh, social media and gone out on Telegram, and this is beginning to seep through now to the uh, Russian bloggers who realize that things are not going so well. By the way, they've got Russian bloggers, it seems, embedded with the Russian forces in Ukraine. Ukraine has gotten this far. Would they ever put a foot on Russian land? No, I think what they're really trying to do is to cut off supply to the Russian ground forces. And we have seen some efforts, they've not been claimed though, to blow up 
uh, ammunition, but above all, fuel dumps. And I think that they will keep that going. I think they will want to keep the Russians guessing. What it's known as in military circles is throwing them off balance. It's disrupt and throw off balance. And that is where the Ukrainian forces have been much more successful than even their Western trainers and sponsors would have thought just three or four months ago. At this stage, can Ukraine win this war? Uh, That's the thing. That's the obvious question. And it is the political question. But it's very difficult to say in what terms winning or losing will be. Uh, Russia has taken a large amount of Ukrainian territory since February the 24th, which uh, Ukraine would like to get back uh, quite a lot of it. I think we're beginning to see the shape of a stalemate now. And the stalemate will occur around the Donbass, because if you look at the map of what is going on at the moment, uh, that Russia, uh, Russian forces have got control of Luhansk, one of the two Donbass enclaves, one of the two so-called autonomous republics, uh, to whose defence Putin initially called in the Russian forces. That's in Russian hands. But Donetsk, which is more spread out and goes up to the river, is not so well. There's not a point, it's called a decision point, where the Russians can go firm and say, that's all right, let's talk Turkey now and let's have a bit of a truce. I think that's coming, by the way. I think it can only be just a few weeks away because the Russian forces are exhausted. I think the Ukrainian forces must be exhausted, but there's a lot to play for. I think, interestingly, we're concentrating far too much on the Donbass. We've really got to consider what happens on the Black Sea coast and above all with the port of Odessa. What can Putin do to reverse his fortunes? Well, that's uh, that's the 60 billion ruble question, I think, because if he's going to succeed in the way that he's set out, uh, it's going to be a really big effort. I think he's got to raise another entire army to go into Ukraine, even if he is going to possess and hold and occupy the areas of the Donbass, which we've talked about, and above all, the, uh, the, the, the Black Sea coast, the bits that they've got already to try and force this corridor so you could join it all up. Crimea, which Russia took over in 2014, but which was detached, then along the coast and through Mariupol and the Donbass, it's a very big ask, when, particularly when you think that uh, the Western defense agencies, particularly Brit and US, calculate they've lost between 30 and 40 percent of the combat power. That is the effective use of the force that they put into Ukraine in rather chaotic fashion, as it now appears, on February the 24th. There's a lot of talk of Sweden and Finland joining NATO. Is that likely? They will be admitted, although uh, Turkey, uh, interestingly, is objecting to It's very interesting because they say that Finland and Sweden support the PKK, the radical Kurdish uh, insurgent movement. Um, It's always a problem with the Turks. Turkey is a very, very interesting ally in this. It's it's semi-detached. It's not really a genuine democracy, which you have to be in the terms of the treaty, which is the club rules for NATO, the the, the Atlantic Treaty, the Washington Agreement. And so they're to one side. So Mr. 
President Recep Tayyip Erdogan can't shout the odds too much. But Turkish drones are very, very important indeed. And Turkey is suffering quite badly now uh, from this war because Turkey desperately needs those grain supplies, which it habitually gets from Ukraine and indeed parts of Russia. And Russia has been holding off that and has been looting the big grain elevators and silos outside uh, uh, Odessa. And Turkey is very uh, fed up with this. And it's a dimension that's hardly considered, but just appearing is that Turkey could side with Egypt, would you believe it, which is in desperate need of Ukrainian maize and particularly wheat um, to make a real effort to get into Odessa, to break the blockade, to use the port, to get the grain out. But also the problem, uh, the, 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 the food and grain angle is so important and it is of global significance that the Ukrainian farmers can't get on the ground in most of, most of the territory for the planting season, which should be happening right now. If Sweden and Finland join NATO, what does that mean for Russia? Uh, Russia will go mad, as it has already been shouting the odds and said it would take retaliatory measures. That's likely to be cutting off fuel supplies, which could possibly affect uh, Finland more than, than Sweden and make a lot of noise. But if you're not selling your fuel to Western Europe, it's very difficult to switch for Russia to sell a lot more fuel to India, but above all, China, because it's particularly difficult to manage the pipeline system to get the fuel to go direct to China. In fact, it's almost impossible physically in some parts. So it's quite something. But for Sweden and Finland, it's very important for the West. As you know that Britain has signed a friendship treaty, recent friendship agreement with both countries. And it's particularly important in the case of Finland. Finland has a population of about five and a half million, but it's a formidable military power. It has a tiny army and armed forces of about 25, maximum 30,000, including militia police. But it can call out in an instant, in a matter of weeks, over a quarter of a million fighters who are well-trained, well-versed and experienced. It's called the total defence system. And Britain is very interested in it because they know how to use reserves for all kinds of tasks, including things where we've seen the uh, British troops involved, like COVID duties, resilience against natural disasters, weird weather, breakdowns in uh, utility supplies, electricity, and so on. The total defence system knows how you use reserves there, and Britain really wants to learn that from them. Let's go to the ads. Stay there to hear from Jochen Embley from the Evening Standards Culture Desk about Ukraine's Eurovision win. Whilst you're here, why not give the leader a rate and follow? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. 
and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. In other Ukraine news, there was this moment over the weekend. So we have a winner. The winner of the Eurovision Song Contest 2022 is Ukraine. Yes, Ukraine's Kalish Orchestra won Eurovision. It was a huge moment of solidarity and Ukraine insists it will host the competition next year. But will it be able to? Jochen Embley is from the Evening Standards Culture Desk. I mean, I think you can tell from the sort of um, reaction that you've seen, you know, both from President Zelensky and um, from Ukrainians themselves, the civilians, uh, just kind of what a symbolic victory this has been for them. Um, I think no one's obviously under any illusions that Eurovision means as much as, you know, victory in in the war does, of course. But, uh, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's a show of solidarity for... Ukrainian culture as much as anything, I think. You know, because I think a lot has been talked about, you know, of course, the attack on Ukrainian land, but it's also been an attack on Ukrainian culture. And to see a Ukrainian song come and, you know, conquer Europe like it has, I think, I think that, I think that means a lot. It's a hugely, hugely symbolic um, victory for Ukraine and its, um, and its music, I think. They've now returned to Ukraine to help fight in the war, haven't they? Yeah. So I think one of their members um, actually didn't make the final in Turin because they stayed to stay to stay involved in the war effort back in Ukraine I and mean, the rest were uh, allowed to leave on temporary visas but yeah no they're they're heading back now to get involved uh, I mean the uh, frontman of the Kalash Orchestra he runs a uh, volunteer organization that helps with the humanitarian effort and he has been doing that for um, well since the invasion started so yeah I mean it's uh, I think for all the sort of euphoria and the joy of Saturday night it definitely brings it back to reality when you realize that you know, now that they've done competing in Eurovision, they're heading back to the front line, really. Eurovision rules means that as winners, Ukraine will host next year's competition. What do we know about how this will work? Well, I mean, President Zelensky has come out and said that Eurovision, Eurovision will be in Ukraine next year. And, you know, he even hopes to hope, uh, host it in Mariupol, which is, of course, the um, besieged port city. Whether that happens or not, clearly remains to be seen. No one can really predict how the, how the war will go from this point onwards. But um, I think definitely the the intent and the, the dream to hope Eurovision to host sorry host Eurovision in Ukraine next year is is certainly there. We all know it costs a lot to host Eurovision. Do you think it'll be possible for them to host given how much money will be going into the war effort? Yeah, again, I think it's one of these things that remains to be seen, sadly. Um yeah, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? I think the intent is there, whether the sort of economic capability is there as well. I think it's something that could only really be discussed once the conflict has come to an end, I suppose. But yeah, like I said, Zelensky wants to do it. And I know the um, Ukrainian commentator who uh, commentated on Eurovision from a, a bunker in Ukraine. He said that he would desperately want to host it where it's be in Ukraine next year. So yeah, the intent is there. Whether it is possible, I think we'll just have to wait and see. And that's it from The Leader. This podcast is back tomorrow at 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. 
The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.